You can support the podcast by buying a copy of this book, Mind of Marcusine, available at Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, and pretty much anywhere ebooks are sold. It's also available in paperback. You can email me your questions or comments at podcast at ericedstrom.com. Chapter 14. It Came Up Skulls Kyla found the stairwell and pounded up the rickety steps. Shoulder down, she barged through the door at the top and into a kitchen. Five large men stood there, arms crossed and looking bored. They straightened at once and moved to block the exits. Don't harm her, the don'ts master called from below. He came in behind Kyla. He nodded to a stocky, bald man with thick fingers. Not too much, anyway. I'll meet you there. The don'ts master wove through the men and left the kitchen. The men closed in, the head goon's face coldly determined. Nax, go, she sent. The cat tried to slip through one man's legs, but was instantly snared in a net. Two men grabbed Kyla by the arms, their hands gripping her like iron shackles. You don't have to pop my arms off. I'm not resistant, my friend, she said. I'm not your friend. Hood her. A musty sailcloth bag went over her head. Someone bound her hands, cinching her wrists behind her so tightly her skin burned under the rope. No, leave the ring, the boss warned. Marlow will notice if you take it, and then it'll be my neck. Someone mumbled a curse. Then Kyla was shoved forward. Once outside, they threw her onto a hard wooden surface. It started moving. A wagon. Nax, what do you see? In answer, Nax sent Kyla the cat sight. The sudden shift in perspective made Kyla's stomach lurch. The weaves of a net blocked much of her vision, but she saw the men sitting on the back of a wagon. And she saw herself just an arm lengths away, lying face down, cheek pressed to the oily planks of the wagon bed. The sense of being pinned made her shrug her shoulders, but they moved freely. It was Nax who couldn't move. The net had been wrapped so tightly, the cat was paralyzed. That's enough, she sent. Her vision went black as the inside of the sailcloth sack returned. The binding dug into her wrists, but at least her fingers were free. Not that she could feel them. Her hands tingled as the rope numbed all sensation except the agony of a million pinpricks. That's a fine-looking blade, one man said. Leave it, said the boss. Where do you think she got it? Stole it. Let's take a look at it. I said leave it. A dull thump followed. A man groaned in response. What does a master need with a blade? That isn't your concern. Now clamp your lips or I'll stuff a fish betwixt them. Grumbling. Fellow is coming, Nax sent. Kyla wished she knew where she was. She hadn't seen any of their surroundings in Nax's vision. If she could get the ring off, maybe she could use her Mercus senses to figure it out. But the way her hands were bound... The backs of her hands were pressed together. Her fingers weren't nimble enough to get the ring off. Watch patrol, someone called from the front. Throw yon tarpaulin over her. The weight of a heavy sheet fell over her, muffling the clatter of the wagon rolling over cobblestone. How far is fellow, she sent. Nax had no idea of distance. The boy didn't stand a chance against so many men anyway. She considered her predicament and realized she knew where they were taking her. If the Hargath wanted her, that meant the Abbey. Tell Fallow we're being taken to the Abbey. 
he should go to the baths and ask to speak to the voluptuary and tell her that I'm in trouble. I've told Lop. And? Lop says that Fallow wants to know what else is new. This is not the time for jokes, Kyla sent. Who's joking? Kyla gave up. Despite a penchant for inappropriate humor, Fallow could be relied on to do the right thing. She hoped. The question was whether the sensuals on duty at the baths would obstruct Fallow or help him. Kyla rolled onto her side. Nobody stopped her, so she worked her way onto her knees. That's far enough, the leader of the group said. Don Marlow won't pay us if you fall off and get broken. Marlow. So that's who the don'ts master was. Kyla recognized the name. Something about a scandal. Didn't he have a dalliance with a spinster? She didn't give a rat's whisker about Don Marlow's bed secrets. She just wanted her guard to keep talking. She shifted back until her hands touched the side rail of the wagon bed. Good. Nobody behind her. She shifted her legs out from under her and leaned against the rail. Pushing her shoulders back helped ease the tension in her bindings. Not enough to get free, but enough to get a thumb under the edge of the queller ring. He doesn't want us talking about that, the guard said. Doesn't want you talking at all. Suits me fine. But just out of professional curiosity, what does kidnapping a cheapskate ragamuffin pay these days? He laughed. The other men snickered. She eased the ring over the knuckle, got it between two fingers, and slipped it off. She couldn't make a tight fist, but she could curl her fingers enough to keep hold on the ring. The zing came over her. The sound of the wheels joined the creak of the axle and the scratch of Atlan Talon on the street. The smell of sweaty men, baking bread, and chimney smoke filled her nose. Voices of pedestrians wafted to her ears, accented with the clipped syllables typical of terracide merchants, educated but informal, like Fallow and Henley. The weight of the tarp was pulling her head forward. She desperately wanted to get the hood off and breathe fresh air. The feeling of suffocation made concentrating difficult, but she relaxed into her murkous vision. The glow of metals popped into view. Nails holding down the planks of the wagon, iron axle, blades at the belts of the men guarding her. This wasn't the place to do the iron-in-the-blood trick, even if she had the slightest clue how to begin. Mercus lamp posts went by. The zing helped her calm a bit, made her feel slightly less blind to her environment. She turned her attention forward to the wagon driver. He had some copper plugs in a purse. No weapon. Where is Dun Marlow? she asked. Silence. The man closest to her had a brass belt buckle and a stubby knife on his belt. He, too, had a pouch of coins. She studied the glow. I bet those skillets are burning a hole in your purse. You're probably thinking about all the treasure you're going to slurp down just as soon as you turn me over to whoever you're turning me over to. Did you tell your men you already have, uh, let me see, a couple dozen gold skillets? A sharp blow caught her ankle. Shut up! Though she couldn't see them, she sensed the other men had gone very still. That's probably just the advance payment, in it. Let me guess, half up front and half when I'm delivered? What'd you tell your men? Fifteen gold skillets total? Smart. You can divvy up fifteen among the five of you, three for you, and you also pocket the other half when Marlow plops the rest in your greedy paws. I have to say, I didn't guess you to be so devious. Another blow. Kyla hissed and bent her knees to pull her feet away from him. The girl's lying. 
How could she know what the payment is? Kyla continued, I don't know what the rest of these men have. Well, that one with the silver chain around his neck has four silver plugs. The one with the dirk hidden in his right boot has three copper plugs and a silver skillet. The other two don't have so much as a lint ball between them. A pity it is that two till-fearing men have nothing while their boss is toting a purse so heavy it makes them lean to one side. A flash of white glow warned Kyla to duck. The boss had a silver ring on his hand, and it came toward her. The blow grazed the side of her head, snagging her hood. Unfortunately, it didn't pull the kill damn thing off. How does she know what we have? My man said. How? Forget how, said another man. I want to know why Grig is holding back our pay. Easy to figure that, Kyla said. Grig's a greedy drunkard and wants it all for himself, just as you've been suspecting for a long time. That's true, Grig. I think you should pay us now. Is what Marlowe told me true, Grig? Kyla said. That you and him agreed that the fewer men left standing in the end, the more money for you both? If the highest truly wants me, then fifteen or even fifty gold skillets is nothing. Ten times that more like it. By Kill's blazing brow, I think I'd turn myself in for five hundred skillets. Five hundred men, and Grig's keeping it all for himself. Five hundred, said one of the underlings. Now look here, Grig. I know you get a bigger cut for bossing this crew, but you told me I'd get three skillets. That don't sound fair if you get five hundred. At least five hundred, Kyla said. Till's day collection at the cathedral brings in three thousand, I heard once. She's right about that. I heard that too. Stifle your yappers, Grig shrieked. Just you stifle your kill-kissing lips, all of you. You're a bunch of slag-brained sons of sour-water carp. Grig had moved forward, hand on his stubby knife hilt, gauging by the position of his silver ring. Kyla rolled toward the rear of the wagon, searching for a tailgate. There was none. She could roll right off the back. Problem was, she couldn't leave Nax behind. The wagon turned sharply and then came to a stop. Grig was shouting at the men not to trust the captive, and how stupid were they anyway. They grumbled, but the fight Kyla had hoped to instigate didn't erupt. The tarp came off her, and hands gripped her elbows. Suddenly she was airborne. She landed with a grunt as a man's shoulder pressed into her gut. She was being carried like a sack of potatoes. The sounds of the world went quiet as they passed through a door. Put her down. It was Dun Marlowe's voice. There was some clinking. A purse full of gold. Kyla got a glimpse of the glow and coughed in astonishment. Five hundred hadn't been a far-off guess. She spotted four gold citadels and a whole bunch of skillets. The door slammed shut. The hood came off her head with a whoosh. She stood in a cold foyer. Not of the cathedral, though. The finely shaped stonework and dark tapestries depicting Till in all his naked and bearded glory suggested she was somewhere in the abbey. But no way to be certain. Many people displayed such artwork, hoping to convince the don'ts masters of their piety. Funny that. In Kyla's experience, don'ts masters measured piety in coin, not by one's decor. She slipped the queller back on. The world seemed to dim. But if this was the abbey, she didn't want to risk the Hargath coming back into her mind. Untie my hands. No. Then take me to the Hargath and let's be done with it. Not yet. So now what? He approached her, and she noticed the net over his shoulder. 
He set it down and loosened the top. Nax hopped out. The little gray looked a bit ruffled, but not injured. We wait. I'm hungry. Food will be brought. Where are we? He didn't answer except to offer a tight-lipped smile. Is it true about you and the spinster? She asked, hoping to get some sort of reaction out of him. The man paused, smile faltering. So, Grig couldn't keep his mouth shut after all. Don't be too disappointed in him. He's merely stupid. There was a padded bench along one wall. The table next to it held a murkus lamp. A heavy oak door stood opposite. Nax nosed it, then returned to sit on Kyla's bare feet, hissing when Dunmarlow approached. Easy, beloved one. I merely seek to relieve Miss Sigh of this blade. With swift tugs and yanks, he undid the sheath buckles on her leg. Kyla considered kicking him in the head, but given the poor effect Kane had on his weirdly hard flesh, she resisted. He shook his head and muttered to himself as he placed the weapon on a side table. Taking a seat, he folded his hands in his lap. Perhaps I will tell you about the spinster. It's a rather good story, and I've never told it, what with it being the source of my disgrace and all. The door swung open to admit a man in livery bearing a tray. Though her murkous senses were quelled, the smell of bread and soup made Kyla's stomach rumble. Nax meowed. The man halted mid-step, mouth agape at the sight of a cat. Never mind the animal, man, Don Marlowe said. Set the tray down and leave. The man obeyed but gave Nax a judgmental sneer before retreating the way he'd come. Kyla eyed the loaf of bread. Uh, you'll have to unbind my hands if I'm going to eat. Fear not. I have hands for the two of us. He broke off a small bit and held it out. Don't bite me. For a flash of an instant, her mind faltered as she watched his fingers extend with the bread. It seemed oddly familiar, but off. Is something wrong? Marlowe asked, still proffering the bread. No, I just had the odd feeling that I've done this before. Like memories to come, the old song. He squinted at her. I know it well. Will you eat? She opened her mouth and he stuffed the bread in. She barely managed to stifle a moan of pleasure as she chewed the warm, soft bread. Instantly, she closed her eyes and sighed through her nose. This wasn't the nasty rye baked in cheapskate ovens. This was soft, buttery, and faintly sweet. <sighs> Spin Hetta was a bit older than you, Don Marlowe said. Perhaps eighteen when I met her for the first time. I was a full acolyte in my third year, just twenty-one. But the spinsters have a different system than the way of Till. Those who ascend in the sisterhood do so by lottery, not seniority or merit. He waved a finger at her. Don't for one moment think they are dim-witted. Hetta was the wisest girl I ever knew. You could look into her eyes and glimpse the divinity of Paul herself. Kyla smirked and raised an eyebrow. I thought the way of Till didn't accept the goddess of luck as fully divine. Dun Marlowe took a bite of bread, then offered Kyla another. She accepted eagerly. He stood and stretched. It's chilly in here. I wonder what's keeping the lad. Having no idea what he was talking about, Kyla didn't offer any speculations. Uh, the new pantheon is all gibberish, Dun Marlowe said. The synod that decided the order of things, even the names of the gods themselves, 
were a bunch of drunk old men and women lusting for power beneath the radiance of her enlightened majesty. It is, as I believe they say in Cheapskate, a load of bilge water. But that is not pertinent to this discussion. My dear Hetta was wise, young, and a full spinster in the way of Paul. You might be interested to know that she had some facility with the Marcus, Nothing compared to you, I'm sure, but I can count the don'tsmasters who could have matched her on these three fingers. He made the sign of the trident at her, tucking pinky and thumb. Kyla instantly grew curious. She wanted to know the names of those don'tsmasters. The Hargath is one. Who are the other two? Dun Marlow grinned, and she saw some of the boy in him. His salt and pepper hair was overlong at the front and dangled in his eyes. He had a habit of tossing his head to swing his bangs out of the way. The Hargath is not a don'ts master, and as for the others, Dun Chilo is dead. The second is Dun Yeeples, of late committed to a dungeon cell. That was your fault, by the way. And the last one I'm too modest to mention. Kyla let out a snort. He was talking about himself, of course. But that bit about Dun Yeeples stuck in her brain. What did I do that sent a don'ts master to a prison cell? It drove him mad. He was in the thinny cavern when you did whatever it was you did. For someone unprepared for such a release of power, the effects can be quite disturbing. The ways have lost many Mercosine talents, once taught to children, you know, one of which is shielding against such feats as yours. Alas, poor Yeeples is quite mad now. My little mice tell me he raves about you in his cell, denouncing you as Demkisk. Kyla pursed her lips as she took in this torrent of information. A chill worked its way along her arms, and she grew suddenly light-headed. Every child knew the word Demkisk. No one would want it used in the same sentence as their name. Mouth dry and heart-thumping, she cleared her throat. I, I didn't see Don't Master there. That wasn't true at all. She remembered one. Fenta's song was being traded to the Hargath in return for the services of a Don't Master. Kyla had run right past the man on her way to save Nax from drowning. She had forgotten all about him. He had surely seen what she had done. Spin Hetta brought out the best in me despite what has been said about my shame. My detractors attribute all my transgressions to her physical beauty, which was great, make no mistake. But it was her way of being that drew me to her. She lived effortlessly, or so it seemed to me. Her spirit was as lithe as her body. She could focus all her considerable mental powers on any task she chose, then let the concentrations of the day slide away and enjoy a hearty laugh and a lovely sunset. Her knowledge of body jokes was limitless, and she reveled in my prudish blushes. Kyla couldn't concentrate on Marlowe's words. If Dun Yeeples had seen her kill all those people, then perhaps his talk about Dem Kisk was not the joke Marlowe made it out to be. I loved her, I'll admit it. 
my vows to till were like stick soldiers against the war captains of Starside. They fell to pieces and were forgotten in the same instant. The spinsters accepted men into their order, though few chose that path. I asked the coin to admit me. She tossed the medallion, but it came up frowns. My request was denied. In defiance of my way, I went to Hedda and asked her to marry me. She spun her own medallion, and it came up grinning. She accepted. What followed was the most sublime ten-day of my life. Don Marlowe returned to the bench and plopped his weight onto it. His eyes glistened, and he said nothing more.